0: Welcome back to the early Way in podcast in Anaheim, California this week for big UFC 298. One of the best main event, one of the best title fights in a long time for me, man. Uh, consensus featherweight goat, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, defending his belt for the sixth time here against uh, newcomer Ilya Teporia, undefeated prospect that a lot of people think could uh, very easily walk away with the belt on Saturday. And co-main event, one of the best middleweights, Robert Whitaker fighting Paulo Costa, should be another good one. Honestly, the, the five fight pay-per-view was, is a really nice pay-per-view, man. Total of 12 fights for us to get into. So without further ado, man, I'll go ahead and let you recap last week, and uh, and we'll jump into our first prelim fight here.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Absolutely miss, mixed bag of results um, for the between the two of us last week. Uh, we'll take a look at your card first. You went... Uh, Outside of a no contest, a perfect 4-0 in your straight picks. You had Dan Ige, who made easy work of Andre Feely in the co-main event. Uh, Rodolfo Vieira, who, again, no sweat bet right there. And then lucked up a little bit uh, Mm -hmm. on the duplication on Max Griffin while also getting a nod on the judges' scorecards. I told you I think you got maybe double lucky on that one, but uh, (laughs) I definitely think that you're okay with how that swung. Um, right. Yeah. The fight goes to decision and the Brazil Loma look boomy. Probably the, I don't know, probably the, out of all of the bets that you made, that might've been the best one that you made. Honestly, at minus it might've uh, no it should have looked like no chance of finishing. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there was, there was no sweat at all. Um, and then the parlay, which both legs didn't hit, didn't matter. Um, you ended up the night plus 5.9 units and, uh, definitely a a good night for sure. Uh, looking over at my card, uh, I had Darius flowers as a hedge to Michael Johnson by submission. Michael Johnson by submission at plus 1600 was, uh, I don't know. I thought that it was a really, really good number. Was hoping that that was going to hit and turn around my night for me because I had, uh, Joe Pfeiffer in a parlay, and um, yeah, it was a little that was a little risky for sure. And having him not having seen championship rounds, it definitely showed. Um, and then I had the Wells Max Griffin fight doesn't go the distance. Griffin's chin held up uh, big time. He avoided the uh, submission attempts that I thought Jeremiah Wells was going to be able to get on him. Um, and then I also had Clark in a parlay. Um he ended up being matched with Dan Ige, and uh that that parlay was no good and then let's see Okie by uh Oki inside the distance he pieced up Timothy Kumba um who I, I knew was taking this fight on short notice up a weight class um but he's a tough dude to say the least mm-hmm. um and then Hermanton by submission I'll be completely honest I didn't even see the last 3 rounds of the main event I fell asleep uh so I'm not even <laughs> sure how if that was ever close. Um, but I heard that Hermanson kind of, you know, walked away with it those those last three rounds. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the fifth round um, so minus four point takedown though. So he kind of wrote out on he top did get a the take whole down. round.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. Uh minus four point eight five units. And uh yeah, definitely not a good night, but I think both of us still in the positive for the year. Uh yeah. so looking to keep the uh Keep us both in the in the green for the year. Uh, we start off the card in the women's flyweight division, where we see Andrea Lee taking on Miranda Maverick. Uh, both these girls kind of in different parts of their career. Andrea Lee kind of on the tail end of hers. Um, as far as how these girls kind of match up, I think that uh, Andrea Lee has a advantage in the striking which if Miranda Maverick can't get this fight to the ground early and often, um, I could certainly see Lee kind of covering this underdog price tag of hers. Miranda Maverick, although she's shown that she has a really good wrestling game and looks good for her age, she has shown some limitations in her game. And I'm worried that if she can't get her wrestling going, that Andrea Lee Is uh, vet savvy enough to make this really close? Um, I see this fight go into decision more often than not. I'm not not totally um, excited about Miranda Maverick at a favorite price tag, although I do, like I said, I just think that where they're at in their career, Miranda Maverick is the stronger grappler. um, So I do expect her to have some success. But ultimately, I think that this fight's a little too close to call. Or too close to be laying minus two hundred on
0: Miranda Maverick, so
1: Maverick's the pick, but not a lot of
0: conviction with that. Yeah, you and I see the fight uh, pretty similar. You know, with KGB Lee, it's a girl who's in a tough spot to back right now. Lost six of her last eight fights, including three in a row. So, um, you know, I always want to give her the the benefit of the doubt of it being a whole lot better competition than anybody Miranda's really faced. Uh, But uh, you know, tough spot when someone's on that kind of a skid there. The girls is extremely tough though, and I do agree with you. Definitely has a striking advantage. But when I, you know, I look through her record, I think her best win is probably Montana de La Rosa. And I, I do think Montana de La Rosa and Miranda Maverick are, you know, about on the same level, but I think Miranda Maverick pushes the grappling pace a little bit more, and that just so happens to be what Andrea Lee kind of struggles with. But man, I'm with you at the price tag of minus two hundred, there's just no way I could back Maverick at this spot. It kind of feels dog or pass to me. Something that I uh, was looking at on bet online was the point spread for uh, KGB Lee, the point, the plus three and a half. Uh, But they have that lined at minus 160 as her being the plus 160 underdog. So like in my eyes, they know she's going to make this a close fight. So it it, it further kind of further cements it that that's a dog or pass situation here um another thing that i've kind of looked at lately is overs and even if it is juice man you know combined 38 fights 12 decision losses w- only one finish loss in 38 fights for these girls so even though it's sitting at minus 375 percent, it probably goes over around 80 82 so i think there's even a small edge there if you, if you down delay any type of juice but i don't see much finishing upside for either girl here i, I feel like it's a Probably a close split decision. Uh, I'm on the on the Miranda Maverick side, though, just kind of because of the takedown upside. And then uh Val Woodburn, man, Oban Elliott at 170. It's a fight that I, you know, I really haven't dug into tape too much on this one. I don't necessarily have too much interest in betting either side here. Um, my first reaction was it's kind of dogger pass. I feel like the market could kind of still be low on Val Woodburn after his performance against Bo Nickel. And at the same time, Oban Elliott, in my eyes, is is not a minus 275, minus 300 fighter. The guy's extremely hittable. I feel like, well, Val Woodburn, if he has a chance, he's got a puncher's chance in a fight like this here. Um, one thing about Elliot, though, he does have really good pace, man. The guy can put on a pace for a hard 15 minutes. He can search and find his takedowns, and so, you know, I feel like if Val doesn't get him out of here earlier, Oban should should likely take over this fight in the second, third round. I don't know how much finishing upside he has here, but um it's enough for me to see the gas tank is is far superior, and I'm gonna side with Oban Elliott to get the to get the win.
1: Um so yeah, I expect Oban Elliott to have some some edges here. I'm I'm really the most curious about how Val Woodburn looks on the scale. This will be the first time in his professional career cutting to welterweight. So I uh, I'm curious where he got that push from. I mean, obviously he stepped in short notice to fight uh, Bo Nickel, but I mean I I imagine that he probably saw a few UFC welterweights, UFC middleweights, and just realized that with his five foot eight frame, he needed to be at the 170 pound weight class or even lower than that at five foot eight. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you. This is more of a step back and see how the fight plays out so that we can get a little bit more on both these guys as the lines continue to, you know get further and further into the minus 320s, minus 330s for Obon Elliott. It obviously makes you want to play Woodburn, but I just haven't seen enough from him to want to justify playing any putting any of my money on him. So easy pass for me. Staying in the welterweight division, Josh Quinlan taking on Danny Barlow. Um, I feel like a lot of people are counting out Josh Quinlan because of his fight against Trey Waters. Um, Trey Waters, six foot five, welterweight. He's gonna he's gonna offer a really unique look to a lot of people, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that it's just left a bad bad taste in people's mouth that Quinlan came in there as a you know, two to one favorite and uh, got beat Danny Barlow. He looks really good, but um, at only seven to 0 I'm not really sure how much we can trust him. We've only seen him on the contender series where he looks good, um, but he's, you know, obviously kind of, kind of dependent on that left hand. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how much more developed his game is to, to justify him being over a minus 200 here. Uh, another layoff spot for me. I feel like there's a lot of better spots on the card, um, but Barlow will be the pick for me. Um, but again, I don't. I don't think I had the greatest read
0: on this fight. So, yeah, man, another one where we're where pretty much aligning a like here. I don't think I could with you. Don't think I could ever play Danny Barlow, but he's the side for me. Just a couple reasons. Uh, you know, I feel like we should we should pass all together. The, the guys have less than ten fights here. It's a massive pay per view. Um, you know, you got the big favorite who's making his debut. I could kind of argue that you know Josh Quinlan having two fights in the UFC is, is is a big advantage here for him. But at the same time, you know he's a guy who's already popped for uh, by Usada once. He's you know only win is Jason Witt, and then struggled with Trey Waters. So I I personally don't really have the best read on him. Um, but here I see a I see a striking fight, and I think Danny Barlow's the younger, faster. Just more accurate guy with his hands. And he does have the technical reach advantage here, but um, I, I don't think it's anything like Trey Waters. The, the six foot five plus the reach is far more difficult than jo- for Josh Quinlan to get past than it is here. So, you know, I'm not counting out Josh Quinlan landing something, getting through on the inside. He could potentially even have grappling upside in the better gas tank here. I, I don't think Josh Bar- or uh, Danny Barlow is is honestly too proven um, to be getting up into the minus 200 range. So I don't know, man, that this one is a dogger pass line to me, but with, with under 10 fights and as little as I've seen from Josh Quinlan, it's just another one where I don't know if I'm going to get to the, get to the window on him yet, but I think I'm going to side with Josh Quinlan on this one. Um, Zhang Ming Ming Zhang, hopefully I get that right at 205, taking on Brendan Ribero. Uh, the first thing I noticed about Zhang was the fact that the guy has 22 fights and he's like only 25 years old. So I went to his record in his first pro fight. The guy is 15 years old. Um, five of his five of his six knockout losses come before the guy was 20 years old. Um, currently riding a nine fight finish streak, all in the first round. Um, you know, it is not stellar competition by no means, and there's little to no tape on it whatsoever. Hasn't seen the second round since 2018, um, and so it kind of leads me to to favor Brendan Ribeiro The later this goes, but to, you know this guy really doesn't have the best gas tank either. He's a guy who hasn't hasn't seen a third round in all 20 of his fights, um, so it's almost like a just a guess I'm making here. Uh, but truth be told, I don't know if the fight even makes it to the third round for either one of us to see who has a better gas tank. I, I feel like this is going to be rock 'em sock 'em from the get go. While I don't really trust either one of their durability, I think Zhang has showed me in his later fights here that he teams, it seems to be the bit more durable guy. Um, and I think he's the faster guy as well. Um, but they are both coming off massive upsets. Um, you know, on the contender series and on the road to the UFC. So neither one of these guys were favorite to even be in this spot. I think it's another spot where you, you kind of gotta sit back, see how they're gonna perform going forward. Another fight where it kind of feels like the value is on the underdog, but I'm I'm gonna side with the Zhang Mingyang side here, man. Any thoughts on this one?
1: Um I think I, I lean towards Ribeiro, but uh I don't I don't have much to add to it. Um, I could be getting him confused. Am I getting him confused with a different Ribeiro? Um,
0: there was a Claudio Ribeiro that Copilot fought.
1: Yeah, I might've, I might've been watching that tape and I'm, I'm getting them confused. Um, yeah, I don't have much, I don't have much to add to that fight. Uh, the Zang record is so fraudulent that it's really hard to draw much from it. I know him coming in, um, Coming him coming in at a uh, as a plus 450 on the road to UFC is it's actually really difficult, you know, so <laughs> it's it's tough to trust him here. I think this is the first person that he's fought. That's going to give us a real, you know, um, testament to where he's at in his career, even though he is on this uh, win streak all coming in the first round. I would like to see this get out of the first round and see. um uh, see a little bit more to his game. So I'll, I'll stick with Zhang here, but uh, again, not a fight that I'm looking to bet. Renya Nakamura taking on Carlos Vera as our next fight uh, at, at the Bantamweight division. Um, Carlos Vera, you know, he's, he's only, uh, only one fight in the UFC and he's 36 years old. Uh, you don't see that very often. Obviously Renya Nakamura Uh, coming off the road to the UFC. I do feel like this is a spot where the the UFC has attempted to set up somebody um, coming off the road to the UFC with a win. Uh, Generally, I think that the road to the UFC graduates have not been performing the best on the UFC level. Um, But this, I I certainly do feel like it's a setup fight. Um, We didn't get to see, um, nakamura finished fernie garcia last fight and i think the ufc really wanted to showcase him so they've given him a fighter here who um accepts being on the ground and you know i, I think is a perfect stylistic matchup for what renia is bringing to the table
0: yeah i think uh, i think renia is absolutely a legit fighter man uh on the feet Paul extremely fast, looks like he hits hard. In terms of wrestling, it's, it's some of the, the most legit wrestling work that we're going to see in the UFC. And like you said, I think it's just a setup fight here. Carlos Vera, 36 years old. Um, I thought he was brought in to lose to Daniel Marcos and get him back on track. And it kind of seems like they're doing the same thing here with Renya Nakamura uh, to get him a highlight reel finish. Um, Vera's been a durable guy, um, I guess, to an extent. And so they have the, and I guess it has to do with the Fernie Garcia fight, but they had the under two and a half at minus 135 out. And so, I don't know, man. I haven't talked to you about the at 125 or something, the under one and a half. And when you have somebody who's a minus 1600 favorite, I feel like both of those are are plus EV plays in the long run. So, um, you know, I feel like Randy Nakamura gets him out of here pretty quickly and on the feet or on the mat. I feel like we can move on from that fight. Um, we move on to the heavyweight division: Marcos Rogério de Lima versus Justin Taffa. Dude, I mean, Marcos Rogério de Lima just got steamed last time against Derek Lewis. I was part of that, and literally got his teeth rearranged in his jaw in like 20 seconds. And and people are just lining up to bet this guy at chalk again. I I don't really get it. Um, the guy's been finished seven times throughout his career. His cardio is not great. He's a, uh, you know, he's a, a freaking light heavyweight who, as he's aged, just doesn't want to cut the weight anymore. I do think he, you know, can be the faster fighter at times here, a little bit maybe more explosive. And he, and he does have a huge takedown upside, maybe even a submission threat if he were to decide to go to it. Um, but I think – I kind of think Justin Toff is just as live to catch him here, man. I, I feel like he's, you know, got the better boxing on the feet. I actually trust his durability a whole lot more. Um, it's just like when I see the guys Justin Toffa has beaten, it's very, very low level, man. You know, Vandera beat him. You know, um, um, Felipe and Jorgen DeCastro, both out of the UFC, Uh, Hunsucker, Porter, Austin Lane. It's just – there's, there's hard to draw anything from Justin taffa and Marcos Ruggiero de Lima he does have some advantages here but I just i'm through laying juice on the guy man and, and when I see knockout potential for Justin taffa as an underdog it, it kind of leans me to think that that's where the value side is again man on another underdog so I'm going to take Justin taffa um, early TKO I
1: was on the uh, the Derek Lewis side of that when he was plus 180 um, it didn't yeah. make sense then. Um, this is a fight where I do feel like, you know, whenever we're talking about the Black Beast, you know, that's that's somebody who's a record holder, most finishes, most knockout finishes in the UFC. And now we're talking about Justin Taffa, who really hasn't proven much. And it seems like the only fights that he is winning is when he's facing even lower level heavyweights. Um, Mm -hmm. Tafa himself, he's not the size of the black beast. He's significantly smaller. He's another one of these guys who, even though he's coming in at the heavyweight limit, he at six foot tall probably could be on a weight regimen to get down to the light heavyweight division himself. Um, I think that you, um, you touched on Lima having a significant edge in the grappling department. And I do think that's something that he should look to exploit. Um, with Derek Lewis, I mean, he, Two hundred and sixty-five pound man ran out there and threw a flying knee and caught him on the jaw. Um, truthfully, I don't, you know, I don't see Tafa landing that type of shot. And uh, with Lima having more tools, I, I like him at this price tag. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get behind it, um, but especially if the line continues to close down, close in on itself, I'm thinking that the Lima minus one twenty-five is going to be really tough for me to lay away from, especially when I, you know, can confidently say that he holds some advantages and a couple of uh aspects of mma so lima's the pick for me uh moving on to the prelim main event in the women's strawweight division amanda Limos taking on Mackenzie dern um man, i don't know what they're trying to do to my girl Mackenzie dern you know
0: <laughs> keep on now. giving
1: their big big punchers um With most Mackenzie Dern fights, it's whether or not she can get the fight to the mat. Um, Whenever she is able to get the fight to the mat, she's world class. Um, She's shown it a few times. Um, And even if she's not able to find the submission, she's um, really good at control. I'm just I'm just not sure if I'm confident that she can uh, get a wrestling going, man. It's it's something that she's not been able to perform at the highest level, and I, I I'm really worried about her um, moving forward. It just it seems like once she made that leap into the top ten uh, girls, she's just had less and less success. Amanda Limo, is not somebody who has. Much of a grappling game, um, so she she could look like a fish out of the water if somehow McKenzie is able to get the fight to the mat. We've seen Amanda Limosh get submitted standing up, so maybe there's there's something that McKenzie Dern can make work there as well. Um, I do think that the fact that Limosh tapped got tapped in a standing uh arm triangle lets you know how green she is, how she, you know, not searching for different options to find a way out of that submission. Um, so there's plenty of opportunity for, for Mackenzie Dern, but in this striker versus grappler matchup, I'm, I'm just, uh, a little off put by what I've seen from Dern recently. So I'm going to lay off of her and, uh,
0: pick Amanda Lemos here. Yeah, man, uh, I hate this fight for, for Mackenzie Dern as well. You know, short notice against a very similar ar- archetype that she just struggled with really bad. Um, Blumos, I feel like, you know, cleanest punch-wise, she's probably the most powerful girl in the division. Um, and, you know, she just got dominated in the wrestling by Zhang Wei Lee. She was scheduled to fight Tatiana Suarez. One would likely think that grappling, you know, had, especially defensive grappling has probably been a forefront of her training camp um, lately. I I think she holds clear advantages on the feet here. The things I don't like 37 years old, never really been a fan of her gas tank. And, you know, it's kind of hard to bank on TKOs and women's MMA, you know, despite her power, but it, it kind of is, it's still you're banking on a woman to get the, to get the TKO. And at the end of the day, that doesn't happen all that much. And, I do think she's had a disadvantage on the mat significantly. Um, But man, you know, you kind of said it. Dern's always struggled to get these fights to the mat in MMA. Um, I felt like that Jessica Andrade was almost like as layup as you're going to get. The girl had lost three in a row, had been submitted in two of those. And, you know, just won like two fights in between, I think, the skid. But even Valentina finished her in crucifix. You know, like Aaron Blanchfield ran through her on the mat like, I don't know, man. It was there for Mackenzie Dern, and she gets knocked down four times, has n- no success getting the fight down. It, it's kind of got me leaning toward the limos or pass side here as well. It's, it's it's hard to lay chalk on limos. Um, again, cause it's hard to bank on TKOs and that she always kind of seems to be TKO or bust, and, and being at a grappling disadvantage, it, it's kind of hard to lay the money on limos, but she's a side for me too, man. I hate to go against Mackenzie Dern, but I am.
1: And the odds makers are hip to it as well. Whenever uh, Jessica Andrade knocked out Dern, I was on the Andrade TKO at plus 500. And right now we're getting the Lemos TKO at plus 165, plus 175. And that's certainly you know
0: not the price tag I want to see to play that prop at all. Yeah, Not in a women's fight. <laughs> no. Kicking off the pay-per-view, man, in a, a really, really great fight, man. I, I feel like doesn't see the distance at a very, very hard, uh, large clip here. We've got fluffy Anthony Hernandez taking on Roman Kopilov. You know, you and I were texting a couple weeks ago and I felt like Roman Kopilov was, if I could give that an award for like the most improved fighter of 2023, mine probably would have gone to Roman Kopilov. The guy's currently on a four fight winning streak, 3-0 and in 2023. And it was kind of like, I, we resembled it to Chase Hooper when he moved up to 155 or something. It kind of looks like this guy just kind of took a little bit to grow into his body. And, a you know, looks like he's put on some muscle, carries the frame around. Much better for a middleweight. Um, I like the killer instinct on the guy just sitting down a whole lot more on his punches lately. Very nasty body kick. There's been times where Fluffy's been weak to the body. Um, you know, man, I just... I feel like this is a grappler versus striker, and I feel like I can trust Anthony Hernandez almost more than anybody to go out here and land these takedowns. Um, I feel like Fluffy's by far the best grappler that he has faced. The guy in his last four fights um, shot 40 takedowns, landed 22. So, again, not many more guys you're going to trust to go out there and put that grappling pace on Roman Kopilov, who has been submitted by Carl Roberson in the past, did get mounted, beat up bad by Albert Durayev. Um And again, I think, you know, Hernandez can keep that pace up and is even more dangerous on the mat than both of these guys are. So this is a, uh, this is a big bet for me, man, almost two and a half units. Um, I've, and I've also parlayed, doesn't go the distance. I, I really like a fluffy second or third round submission here.
1: Yeah. We see the fight pretty similarly. Um, I am, I am worried about the early uh, shots from Kapilov. Um, before Hernandez has the opportunity to start wearing him down, I think mm-hmm. that Kapilov will hold a pretty significant speed and striking advantage. And um, we've seen other fast strikers like Kevin Holland take advantage of that. And I certainly think that Kapilov has the skill to to um, kind of ruin the Hernandez bet. Outside of that, though, I do expect Hernandez to start putting the pressure on him. And after he gets that first takedown, I expect the one's following to come easier and easier. Um, So, yeah, this is the grappler versus striker matchup that I'm also on Anthony Hernandez. I think we're both on him at, you know, minus one something, and now he's up in the minus 250s, where I think is a little bit more reasonable as far as where he should be as a favorite. Um, So, yeah, Anthony Hernandez is the pick for me. Uh, Moving up to the Bantamweight division, Mirab Davishvili taking on Henry Cejudo. Um, Maybe my favorite fight on the card, man. Um, It's tough because Henry Cejudo is one of my favorite fighters. It's tough to look at him without a bias. It sucks that he has continued to talk about retirement and that this fight is kind of a do or die. Um, So mentally, I'm not really sure where he's at. Um, As far as this stylistic matchup though, I kind of like this for Henry Cejudo. I, I think that, uh, Mirab, you know, he comes from the same camp as Aljamain Sterling, but he doesn't have the intangibles, the, the reach, the he doesn't have the things that I think set apart Aljamain Sterling and allowed Aljamain to get some of the takedowns that he was able to land on Sahudo. Mirab doesn't really have that. And if it's just a three-round fight, I'm pretty sure that Sahudo is going to be able to defend the takedowns of Mirab over 15 minutes. Um, in those exchanges, it's going to be a, up to the judges to determine who's having more success, Henry defending the takedowns or Mirab attempting them, because like any Mirab fight, that's what's going to be happening. Uh, I think at distance, I give the edge to Um, But like I said, it's the mindset that's keeping me off of betting him at plus 180, because um, truthfully, I, I think that he's a better fighter. But... uh to, you know, considering where they're at in their career, Murad being younger with, you know, technically more experience, it's just not a good look. So maybe a layoff fight for me. If Cejudo gets above plus 200 or something, I could consider it. But uh, right now it's a it's a layoff fight for me.
0: Another one we, we pretty much see the same, and I kind of even have that same number written down, plus 200 for Cejudo. If If it got to that range... Maybe I could take the Pope, but I, uh, I'm on the side of Marab as well. Um, you started off by saying it's one of your favorite fights on the card, mine too, one that I think is flying under the radar, not even getting a ton of the, the exposure that it needs to be. Um, and I kind of struggle. Um, you know, Henry, he has mentioned retirement and all that kind of stuff, but at the same time, the guy really hasn't, in my eyes, been as active on social media as cringe on social media. Um, you know, maybe it looks like this one's taken a bit more serious. But any talks of retirement at thirty-seven year old, thirty-seven years old, where you know you've already retired once before, it's not what you like to hear, man. Um, but there's not many times that you're going to get an Olympic gold medalist at around plus one eighty-five, plus yeah, plus one eighty-five to to stop a guy who is purely a you know a wrestler, you know who doesn't have much on the feet. It's a rare opportunity that you're going to get. But here's my thing with Mara, uh man. He he really doesn't need all the takedowns, you know. It's kind of his pace more than it is anything. It's like the guy can shoot forty plus takedowns against Peter Yawn, but he really only needs eleven to make it look stupid dominant, you know. Fifty forty five. Like with Aldo, I don't think he. I don't think he landed a single or is credited for a single takedown in that fight but he clearly wins it like 30, 27 or easily 29, 28. I don't think a single person scored it for Aldo. It's like he does so much offense that his opponents are constantly on the defense, you know? And it it really was the Peter Jan fight that kind of made me stop doubting Mara because he's a guy that are, I never kind of really believed in. I thought he was kind of always an Aljo shadow. Maybe the the guy in the gym that Aljo's just always whooping up on or something, but After the Peter Jan fight, I mean, 44, I think, takedown attempts, 300-something strikes, the calf kicks, the constant work. It was very impressive, man. And I don't know, it's a hard sell for me that a 37-year-old with a foot out the door is going to be able to come in here and compete with that, so – it's a really, it's a really tough fight for me to look into. Um, I feel like I've kind of lost some value on Marab. Maybe if it was the minus 175, minus 180s for him, I still get in. Um, but I think he's sitting around, you know, minus 220. So I think maybe that's just a good sign for me just to sit off here and, and, you know, and pass. But I'm, I'm going to side with Marab to get this one done.
1: Here's the uh, biggest advantage for Cachuto and biggest disadvantage for Davishvili is Davishvili relies on his pace that he sets and the cardio. And this being a three-round fight, that's you know it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't fare well to Mirab's game, which almost takes a full 25 minutes to really wear on his opponent. And I, I, I think for three rounds, Sahudo can hang with anybody. Um, so I, I I don't know. Honestly, the more I talk about it, the more I expect this to be a really close fight and uh, I'd be I'd much rather be
0: holding plus money. I was about to say, we'll look at it. I mean, it's minus 275 to go the distance. So, I mean, that alone should tell you that value is likely on the underdog. Maybe Sehudo plus three and a half or something could be a good look. Uh, yeah, I like – let's maybe ride with Henry Cejudo one last time. Take, uh, moving step up, 170. We got Jeff Neal taking on Ian Machado, Gary – You know, I'm pumped for this one, man. Uh, Some bad blood a little bit between the two with the mugshot T-shirt and everything. Um, And, you know, if you've ever listened to me break down Ian Gary, you know, I think very, very highly of the guy um, for his age. I think he's very experienced. I think despite a 13-0 record, fought some decent guys, been tested, been five rounds. His striking, I mean, it's on point, man. You know, like he's a very technical striker, manages the distance very, very well. Um, I just think... You know, he's kind of gotten into the spotlight in a negative way here recently. A lot of stuff online, uh, and I don't really like that. I just feel like it's almost a distraction to him at this point, whereas a 25-year-old with his head down grinding um, is the better option for him here. When I look at the the Jeff Neal side, you know, that fight with Shavkat, not only did it show me that, you know, Jeff Neal can dish it, but, dude, Jeff Neal can take it. That, that's that. That's a hard, tough fight, a fight that I don't know if Ian Gary lasts as long as, as uh, Jeff Neal did. Very much impressed me there. But at the same time, you throw in the health concerns, the DUIs, you know, losses to Neal Magny, splits with and Ibio. I don't know if we're getting the the best Jeff Neal um, anymore. And I do think that Ian is such a, a good master managing that distance. I don't know if Jeff Neal throws the type of combinations needed to get on the inside, um, but him being a southpaw, he's going to take away that calf kick that Ian Gary loved to use on um, on Neil Magny. I do was it Song Kanan's left hook that dropped Ian Gary? Um, that's Jeff Neal's best punch. I mean, on the inside, I think Jeff Neal's a better boxer, but Ian Gary, like I said, is a master at, at keeping it kicking range where where I do favor him. So I. I It's kind of hard to lay minus 265 here. You know, I look back at my record. I laid minus 184 against Weeks, minus 166 against Gabe Green, and he didn't finish either one of those fights. So it's kind of hard for me to go lay minus 265, um, 250 against what I think is his hardest test to date. So I'm going to pick Ian Gary, but can't get behind him at this number. Uh, I think this
1: is the first real fighting Gary's ever had, man. Um, you know, I mean, he, he does have a win over Neil Magny, but that's twenty twenty three Neil Magny. You know, um, Daniel Rodriguez, another one dimensional fighter. Kanan Song, not that good. Gabe Green. Durable. It's really like he's had to fight. He's had to fight guys who take really good beatings, like Neil Magny and Gabe Green. It's just about outlasting them, being able to continue to put on that beating for three rounds, and uh, he was he was able to do that with Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal is one of these guys who, um, not really sure which one's going to show up, but to me, yeah. it seems like he fights up to his competition. And uh, here in this spot, I feel like. Ian Gary could be in for a rude awakening man this is the first guy that I think can match him with technique and uh you know if uh Jeff Neal only being 33 years old I don't think that he's like over that hill yet and he has in my opinion probably put on one of his best performances in his last fight um do you know why he pulled out of that fight was was he the fighter who got sepsis and almost died and all that
0: yeah, I think he had some type of blood infection, sepsis, before yeah. the Magni fight. I think after Thompson, something like that. Wherever yeah. that big life
1: was, I'm not. So I, I don't know. I I don't know why he pulled from his last fight with with Gary, but um, you know, if if a healthy Neil comes in, the same one that was going to fight Chef cat I think that we're in for a fucking killer fight. Like I said, I think that this is the first true test of being Gary's career, and um. You know, another spot where I, I think that I could do much worse than betting Jeff Neal at plus one ninety against a lot of people. You know, he's beaten Bilal Muhammad, he's beaten um, some some pretty recognizable names much more than Ian Gary. Um, And I, like I said, I don't think that he's necessarily past his prime at only thirty three years old. So. I'm I'm for Neil. I do have a little bit of a bias because I I don't like Gary. I hate to be the type of guy to just jump on the bandwagon, but he is off-putting. Just about everything that he does is a little off-putting for me. Um, so I'm on the uh, I'm on the Neil side, but I'm hoping that that's not bias getting in the way. Uh, moving on to the co event, Robert Whitaker taking on Paulo Costa. Um, damn dude, this line got away from us. You know, we definitely didn't expect to it. That's exactly what I was line. saying. especially considering Paulo Costa looks really, really good coming into these weigh-ins, you know, if he makes weight, I surely expect this line to go dip back under plus 200, but um, you know, it's continued to climb and I don't, I don't think Whitaker's got it anymore, man. I don't know that he has the wrestling to be able to get this fight to the ground where he, you know, seemingly have an advantage. Paulo Costa throws with so much power and volume that I think he's going to be he's going to have the opportunity to kind of overwhelm Robert Whitaker, who seems to uh, do his best work when he has five rounds to work with and he gets to kind of adapt his game plan to a fighter. Um, Paulo Costa, you haven't seen him in the octagon for like two years. You don't really Mm -hmm. know how he's going to look. Um, it's tough to it's tough to bet on him, but I'm happy to take him at a plus price tag against somebody who uh, I don't know. I don't know how old Robert Whitaker is, but he is one of these guys who yeah, he's 33 as well, but he's not the same 33 as Jeff Neal. He's he's definitely got a ton of fight miles on him. And uh, I'm just not sure about him at this point in his career. Yeah. Um, so Paulo Costa is the the pick for me. I think he's going to be
0: really uh, a significant size advantage too, which I'm excited to see it weigh in. Yeah, I was I was going to start my breakdown by saying we completely misread this line movement as well. Uh, when we played the bet, we were, we were talking about how we did not think it would it would move against us whatsoever. Um, but I mean, honestly, I I feel like technique wise, sure, Robert Whitaker is the better fighter, um, but. Man, I feel like if Paulo Costa shows up in shape like he looks like he is going to on Saturday, this is not a fight where Robert Whittaker is minus 255 on that online right now. I think Paulo Costa has exactly what Robert Whittaker struggles with, and that's the power and physicality. At the end of the day, Robert Whittaker, he, he was a welterweight at one point, you know, and has kind of made a living off being the faster guy up here at welterweight, but or at middleweight, but, I mean, kind of like the Duplessis fight, man, you know, he kind of got bullied around. He got, like, head and arm tossed in the clinch, beat up on the mat, knocked out the round after. I feel like power and physicality, real big middleweights, is kind of what Robert struggles with, and he talked about it. Even kind of, you know, I went back and watched the Vittori fight, and it was, it was a clean performance, But I don't think Robert even kind of looked himself in that one, you know. And then the Duplessis knockout as well, dropped by Israel a total of, I think, three times in their fights. The wars with Yoel, you talked about It's a ton of fight miles, man, for being 33. And kind of like we'll talk about in the next fight as well, I think timing is everything, man. And if a healthy Paulo Costa shows up, I think he's catching Robert Whitaker at just the right time in his career, man. I'm... All the finishing upside seems to be on the underdog, which I love as well. So yeah, I like Paula Costa inside the distance and both of us are on it this Saturday. Moving on to the main event at 145. You know, again, consensus featherweight goat here. Alexander Volkanovsky, defending his belt against Ilya Taporia. And again, man, this is this is one of the best title fights in a long time for me. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed breaking this one down and watching tape. Um I'm really kind of torn on. Is it the changing of the guard situation, like we've seen a lot lately, or, or is this a buy low spot on on the best 145 or ever here? And because, like, you know, Ilya was Ilya was what like plus 160. Now it's it's almost flopped at this point. So I understand the argument for this being a um, a buy low spot for Volkanovsky, but I think there's a lot more red flags on his side. Man, every interview I see, it's. I want to go to 155. I can compete at 155. You know, he's 35 years old. Coming off a a nasty KO loss. Want to reiterate, I called that head kick. I saw that coming a mile away. Ground and pound shots, man. The depression, drinking talk. You know, just wanting to get that quick turnaround. I don't like that for him, man. And then on the side of uh, Ilya Taporia already talking about doing events in Spain walking around with the belt, you know, that movie, talking about his rise to the belt. Like, it kind of definitely seems like the UFC would be okay with this guy walking away, uh, beating Volkanovski on Saturday. The longer the fight plays out, it's kind of hard to not favor Volkanovski. He's been in so many five-round fights. He knows how to work them. His feints are really good, knows how to use a good jab, can beat up the lead leg, and his only, you know, loss – um, in a very long time comes to one of the best ever up at 155. I don't necessarily know. It's funny actually, because Ilya has been dropped with a head kick. Um, I don't know how good Ilya's head kick is, but it is clearly a hole, um, in the defense for Volkanovsky. You know, I was able to see it for the, for the Islam fight. Max dropped him with it as well. Early on in his career, he was finished via head kick. Um, so maybe it's, Maybe it's a head kick, but maybe even it's just Ilya's boxing. He can take advantage of, of an opening like that um, and hurt Volkanovsky. With Ilya, it's, watching tape on this guy is, is really, really fun. I almost regret my bias for Bryce Mitchell getting in the way of, of betting Ilya Teporia because it was clear who was the better fighter that night. The Josh Emmett performance is, uh, is very, very clean. Um, it was nice to see him go five rounds. The guy's got power on the feet. He's a legit grappler. I, I honestly think that he could um, – I think this fight is is roughly 50-50 with a lot more red flags on the side of the champion. So I'm going to go with Ilya Taporia to get the job done on Saturday. I bet him plus five and a half um, at minus 165 on DraftKings. Cash is with the finish it cashes with a, you know, a decision win, a close decision loss. Cause at the end of the day, man, you got to beat the champ. And if this goes to a close decision, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sold that Volk couldn't do enough late in this fight to walk away with this. So instead of, you know, I know there's not much plus money left out there. I just went ahead and laid the juice at plus five and a half. Cause I think Ilya taporia has got all the skills to win this fight on Saturday.
1: Um, so truthfully, this is something that I, I, I honestly, I haven't heard much of. You mentioned that he was knocked out, but he was knocked out less than four months ago, man. Yeah. Uh, Volkanovski had yet had not been finished in over a decade, and now he turns thirty-five years old, um, up a weight class. So he's not—he's—it's not like the age and the weight cutting's getting to him. He was up a weight class and he got knocked out. Um, less than four months ago, whenever somebody goes out like that, you know, I don't like to see them back before the six month mark. And that just seems like something that's completely getting, you know, not I don't I don't think that people are talking about that enough because outside of that, I think Volkanovsky should be a max bet. If Volk had given this six months, seven months, and he was returning and I felt like he was. Uh, I, I felt confident in his chin. I think it'd be a max bet, man. I think that the idea that that Ilya is deserving of a pickem fight against Volkanovsky after doing exactly what I would expect Volkanovski do to the same level of competition—it's kind of crazy, you know. We've seen a ton of different stylistic matchups for Volkanovsky throughout his career, and um, he's been. You know, had the fight IQ, been cerebral enough in the octagon to make ad, uh, adaptions. and I just feel like he's he's proven that he is the uh, the featherweight goat, a far a far more proven fighter. This seems like, um, like I said, this would be an absolute max bet. Um, and that I'm not a I like Ilya Taporia. You talked about the Bryce Mitchell fight. I was four units deep on Ilya Taporia that night at minus one forty. Like it. I really like him as a fighter, but he is outside of just you know. If this is a war of attrition, I like him here. If if Volkanovski is is dumb enough to get into a uh, a brawl with Ilya Taporia, I'll take Ilya all day. Um, under uh, with Volkanovsky's current condition, like I said, coming off of the. Uh, the uh, the knockout, his current age, all that kind of stuff. I definitely favor Ilya Taporia if they're just banging it out in the middle. Um, but I, I can expect Volkanovsky to, to come in with that game plan and with what he's shown me in his career. Outside of his chin going, I think that he has the fight IQ to, to really piece up Teporia. I think that he could land a calf kick on Taporia and really slow down the movement. Um, and then, you know... I think he could just uh, pick him apart from there over five rounds um, and give Ilya his first loss. You know, we've seen a lot of undefeated fighters take their first L by just getting pieced up and realizing that there is a different level and that they do have to step up their training and continue to improve that. They're not just going to walk through everybody. And um, to go from Josh Emmett, who, in, you know, in my opinion, you know, this that wins aging well, but he's a one dimensional fighter. Bryce Mitchell is a one dimensional fighter. Herbert, not really UFC caliber. Hull, Damon Jackson, they're all one dimensional fighters. And like I said, we've seen Volkanovsky change his game plan to uh, beat the highest level guys with all different stylistic matchups. Um, I might talk myself into a Volkanovsky bet, but it's seriously the only thing that's holding me back from it is him. Coming off that KO loss, so I might just lay off completely as I I can't bet Taporia at plus one ten like that's crazy. I'd need I'd need plus one eighty against Volkanovski for me to lay that type of price tag, and I just can't trust Volk at this point in his career. So
0: yeah. kind of just like the co-main event, I, I feel like timings. Coming's everything here for Ilia Taporia. It's kind of a, a big factor as to why I'm siding with him too. But you're right. Almost if you if you take the Islam fight away, folks probably minus two hundred in this spot. That I feel like that knockout does have a lot to do with it.
1: Yeah, and here's here's one other thing is um I might you might see me on uh, taporia plus plus three hundred and sixty TKO because because uh, I mean. That's what I'm worried about. That's what I think is going to happen if if uh, he wins. Like I don't see him outpointing Volkanovsky for 25 minutes. He doesn't have the. I don't think he has the fight IQ to put together a game plan for 25 minutes. I think he goes out there and just dog walks people because nobody can stop him. Volks not somebody to just. Um. Not be able to return and gain some respect. He throws just as hard. He doesn't get the knockout finishes like Taporia, but he's throwing just as hard. And up until this point, he's been able to take everything too. So it's a, it's a little annoying that this isn't a max bet spot for me. And if I can't max bet Volkanovski, I might just bet the plus three
0: sixty Taporia TKO. Makes a ton of sense, man. Appreciate everybody tuning in. All twelve fights. Uh, again, man, the the pay-per-view is absolutely killer, uh, violence and, and good fights all over it next week, fight night in Mexico. We got a five round main event, Brandon Moreno, a five round co-main event as well between Ortega and Yair. So, uh, excited to get back, break down some fights and we'll see you guys next week. Peace.